Merry Christmas, church family. I'm all, thank you, thank you. This is the best I can do for red. It's sort of red, right? It's not as red as many of you, but somewhat exciting nonetheless. Uh, so it's always dangerous when I've already been up here with my microphone on and then we sing. And I check four. Off. Sorry, I did it now. That was a reflex. <laughs> uh, at my previous church, I'm sure it happened at least once where I got back to my seat and then was heard over the, over the in-house speakers. But these awesome guys, our team would never do that to me, I'm sure. Anyway, okay, Merry Christmas. Uh, grab your Bible and open to John chapter 1, and we'll jump in here in just a moment there. So hopefully you got a Bible with you or your Bible app on your phone. Find uh, John chapter 1 back in the back part of your Bible, the New Testament. We have the stories of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You'll find John there, and we're going to start in a couple minutes reading at the very beginning of that book of the Bible, John chapter 1. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, it's okay. You'll be able to follow along as I read it. So as you turn there, though, I want you to help me out in this way. And this is a part where you can actually speak up and respond to what I'm saying. It's not a rhetorical question, okay? Uh, what are some examples of, of how we celebrate Christmas? What are some of the things that you've already had going on, that you will be having going on? Um, what are the, some of the aspects, components, not just things we do, but just what do you think of when we think of celebrating Christmas? What comes to your mind when you uh, think about this month and these days and this coming week? Uh, what are some examples of how uh, we're celebrating? What does your life include right now? Family. Family. Festival. Celebration. Trees. Yeah. Uh, was that giving thanks? What else? Cheer, Christmas cheer in more ways than one. Hamburger helper and cheer. What else comes to mind about celebrating? What are we doing these days? Memories, yeah, traditions, parties. I'm not sure, I may have already heard it, but parties generally have a lot of food. You know food is a part of this, right? Uh, Christmas movies. Um, my family and I just went and drove and did our tradition of grabbing Starbucks and then driving through Christmas lights and enjoying the Christmas lights and the decorations. And so lots of ways to celebrate, right? Lots of ways to celebrate, right? <laughs> I, inevitably, I get answers when I don't want them. And no answers when I do want them. So, you know. Way to, way to play along. So we have lots of reasons to celebrate, and, um, and so we're going we're gonna to do that a little bit together today. We are in a series of messages that we've titled, He Came. Everybody say, Jesus came. So we want to think today about what are we celebrating? Why do we celebrate? We, we know what, it, what December can feel like. We know some of the efforts to celebrate and, and, and enjoy. Um, but what are we celebrating? You know, last week as we opened the He Came series, uh, Pastor Ed encouraged us that he came, Jesus came with good news of great joy. The angels announced that, it, that he would be good news of great joy. And today I want to see from God's word, I want you to listen for um, what aspect of God's character, what part of his rescue plan are we celebrating this morning? Are we going to emphasize this morning? By the way, in, in addition to love, our Advent theme, What's one way, what's one truth about God's love to us that we want to really 
um, remember and celebrate this morning. So, if you're with me there in John chapter 1, starting at verse 1, uh, let's read some of that together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If we were to skip down a few verses that we'll get to later, verse 14 would tell us that the Word is who? Jesus, the Son, God the Son. So I want, to, want us to know that as we're reading. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is John the baptizer. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He, John, was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Verse 9. The true light, which church family is who? Jesus. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Everybody say, he came. He came. That's our series. We're looking and asking God, looking in the scriptures and asking him to show us what is its significance of Jesus coming into the world? What are we celebrating his birth for at Christmas? The true light, verse 9, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Verse 11, he came. Everybody say, Jesus came. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And then now we're getting to verse 14 and beyond, and these are the verses I want to focus in on a bit, look a little closer at together. Verse 14. And the word, which is who? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Everybody say, Jesus came. came. Yeah. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Do we have a lot to celebrate? That Jesus came? God himself came Took on, the, took on human flesh and entered into humanity, entered into our journey to, to identify with us, to represent us, and to point us to the only way to life and light and salvation and being reconciled to God. We have a lot to celebrate. We should, our December, our weeks, our days, these coming days should include celebration and fun and family and laughter, and, 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 and we should be thinking that we're celebrating the birth of Jesus. But we want to keep asking this morning, what else is it? God, what are we celebrating? When, when we say he came, what are we celebrating? That God took on flesh and entered into human life. That, he, that God humbled himself, that the Son humbled himself to the point of, of taking on flesh, becoming Jesus, the God-man. And, and then the word in, in John uh, 1.14 when it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt literally means that Jesus pitched his tent among us. Now, why would it use that kind of language? That he, that he camped out with us. That Jesus tabernacled among us. 
Well, well that, that, that harkens us back to the story of God in our Old Testament. And when we think about Jesus as the fulfillment of so much of the Old Testament points forward to Jesus. And one of the things that we see throughout the Old Testament portion of our Bible is the symbolism of, of the significance of God dwelling with his people. And the way God dwelled with his people in the Old Testament was his presence came down often in wind and fire and dwelled in the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, the, 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 the holy place of, among God's people. And so that's how God dwelt with them. He came to the, the tabernacle tent. And later we saw his Old Testament, God's presence in the Old Testament in the temple that was built by God's people. And so the significance of verse 14, that the word became flesh and dwelt, pitched his tent among us, is that now God himself takes up residence with his people in Jesus, his son, God in the flesh, the God-man, the incarnate word of God, Jesus. And later in in biblical history, later in the biblical story, God's presence continues with his people Through the coming of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit lives within each believer, indwells the people of God, the church, and that's how we experience God's presence today. Short commercial, insert a short commercial. Speaking of the coming of the Holy Spirit and and the Spirit of God indwelling his people, we see the Spirit's arrival in Acts chapter 2, and I'm excited to say that uh, come early January, we're going to jump into teaching our way through the book in the Bible called Acts. So that's going to be a great time starting in early January. So keep that in mind. But let's keep going in this passage here today, John 1. Now we're at verse 15. John, again referring to John the baptizer in verse 15, John bore witness about Jesus and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, elsewhere in the Bible, the, 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 elsewhere in the Bible, we see that the fullness of God dwells bodily in, in Jesus bodily. That the fullness of all who God is and what He's about dwells. It, it, the fullness of God is in Jesus, and so here in verse sixteen it says, "For from Jesus' fullness we have all received grace upon grace." For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Uh, It's interesting, sometimes it catches us, I think, perhaps. Um, No one has ever seen God. Well, hmm, what does that mean? And at first we might say, well, yeah, definitely, I've never seen God. And then other times we might think, wait a second, I thought there's been times when God has revealed himself in different ways. I just spoke of, of one example. And you might, uh, revealing himself through fire, revealing his presence in the temple that way. But you might also remember that just a few weeks ago, uh, my message up here was, was from Exodus 34, where Moses and God interact. And uh, if you don't know that story, Moses, a leader of God's people, this is hundreds of years before the arrival of Jesus, uh, Moses asks God, boldly asks God, God, show me your glory. Reveal yourself to me. And God's answer is, I will show you my goodness. 
Moses asks for his glory. Moses wants to see the glory of God. And, and God's answer is, I will show you my goodness. And so, so God instructs, God says, I'm, Moses, I'm going to put you in a little hole in a rock over here. And I'm going to pass by. And I'm going to reveal myself to you. But I'm going to put you over here. And I'm actually going to cover you until I'm past. And then I'm going to uncover you so you can see my back. It's God's way of saying, that's all you can handle. For me to show myself my face, you would die. So Moses asks to see God's glory. God offers to show him his goodness. God passes by, and in passing by Moses, we're going to read in a couple minutes here. We'll go back to this in just a minute. As God passes by Moses, he describes himself to Moses. God reveals his character, his goodness to Moses. So when it says in verse 18, no one has seen God, it's true. No one has seen God fully. No one has seen God completely. And yet that's an interesting story in Exodus 34 that God reveals his back, gives, gives Moses a glimpse, gives Moses all he can handle. And we're going to hear about that again in a minute. But first, let me think, looking back at verses 14 through 18 now, what are, some, what are some things that are repeated? Because that's what we want to take a look at this morning. Jesus came. Our series is called He Came. Verse 14 tells us that Jesus was full of grace and truth. Verse 16 says that he came uh, and, and from him we all received grace upon grace. And verse 17 tells us again that grace and truth came through Jesus. Our series is He Came. Everybody say, Jesus came. And with Him, grace. That's where I want us to live for the next few minutes. When we think about what we celebrate at Christmas, when we think about what's the reasons for the food and the parties and the family and the friends, yes, we're celebrating the birth of Jesus. He came, and with him, grace. God's grace is not about what we've earned. God's grace is not about what's fair. God's grace is not what we deserve. Grace is not about our rights and what we want to get or not get or what we think we are worth or not worth or what, we should, what God should do for us. God's grace is that we don't get what we do deserve and that we do get what we don't deserve. Careful with that tongue twister. Don't mix it up. But, 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 what, but why am I talking about what we deserve? What would be coming our way if it weren't for the grace of God? What gets us in trouble? What dooms the story that we want to celebrate at Christmas time? What has the potential of, of dooming that story? What is the bad news? The bad news is that our biggest enemy isn't the things that we face. The, 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 the bad news for you and me is not the things that we face out there. 
It's not the culture. It's not society. It's not the world coming at us. It's not other people messing up for, things up for us. The biggest problem for you and I is our sin, is our rebellion against God, is our going our own way, is choosing self over his leading, over his ways, over his life. That's, our, that's the bad news. And I want to read um, just a little bit here from Paul David Tripp. This is an ad, uh, Advent season, Christmas season devotional that I've been reading every day. And Paul David Tripp writes this about sin. Sin is the bad news of the Christmas story. You and I simply have no ability to rescue ourselves from the greatest danger in our lives. Our greatest danger is not what's out there, it's what's in here. And then he writes, To every human being, sin is the ultimate undefeatable enemy. It captures and controls us all, and there is nothing we can do. It is either the height of arrogance or the depth of delusion to think that you are okay. Let me read that one again. It is, it is either the height of arrogance or the depth of delusion to think that you are okay. None of us is okay apart from the invasion. Do you like that word? It's either the height of arrogance or the depth of delusion to think that you or I are okay. None of us is okay apart from the invasion of grace. That grace is the core purpose for the coming of Jesus. Grace, as we said, is, is, is not getting what we do deserve and, and getting what we don't deserve. Grace is because God, friends, church family, ready, listening? What was our Advent theme for today? Because of God's agape for you, because he delights in you, he's not disgusted by you, he isn't put off by you, he doesn't reject you, because of God's agape for you, we experience not what we deserve, consequent punishments for sin, because God loves you and delights in you, we experience his favor. We experience, he delights in us, so we experience his favor, his blessing, because we earned it? No. We receive, we receive his, his favor, his grace, his blessing, unmerited, undeserved. We receive his grace because of his love, not because we earned it. And it results in what can be true joy and blessing no matter our circumstances. We celebrate the birth of Jesus, yes. I mean, what did we talk about earlier about the ways we celebrate and parties and food and family and friends and traditions and Christmas lights? Yes, we're celebrating the birth of Jesus, and we should. But even more, we're celebrating the fact that there's a solution for our sin problem. That there's good news coming after the bad news. That there's agape love where we have rejected him. We're celebrating that he came. Everybody say, Jesus came. And he came with what? Grace. Love. So let's look at a couple of those phrases 
briefly here. In, in our scripture passage, we see the phrase grace and truth. The, the language grace and truth rings of God's revealing his, his character in the Old Testament in, in Exodus 34, 6. The, the words grace and truth kind of recall the language, the Hebrew original language that's in this verse. Earlier we were talking about this story, right? That Moses, that Moses asked God to receive his glory. God said, okay, I'm going to put you over there. I'm going to cover you up. I'm going to pass by you. And when, and, when, and when God passes by Moses, this is what God says about himself. And we, I know we looked at this a couple, few weeks ago. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. See, in our passage today in John 1, the terms grace and truth allude to this reality that God has always said about himself. It recalls the language that God used to express his covenant faithfulness to us, that he was, that he was covenanting, making an agreement with his people that this is the God he would be. And, and, and so what began as God's covenant faithfulness revealed there is ultimately expressed in God sending his one-of-a-kind son, Jesus. The ultimate expression of this reality about God is the sending of his son into the world. He came. Everyone say Merry Christmas. He came. And that's the ultimate expression of God's faithfulness to us. And then let's consider that phrase that we see in our scripture passage this morning, grace upon grace. This is, this is, I mean, I've already, I know I've already been up here for a few minutes. I already covered a lot, but this is where I wanted to sit. Everything I've said to this point is because I wanted to get here and I wanted to sit in grace upon grace. Whether you've known God for a long time or whether you don't know if you know God, whether you've walked with Jesus a long time or you're not sure you want to walk with Jesus, I want you to know the, the overarching heart of God, the overwhelming heart of God, the overarching story of the Bible, the overwhelming truth of God's rescue plan to a sinful and broken people who are rebellious against him is love, agape for you, and grace upon grace. Verse 16 tells us, for from his fullness, from Jesus, we have all received grace upon grace. And now, it's a tricky phrase in the original language, grace upon grace. It could be grace uh, referring, because in, in the next verse, we're going to talk about the receiving of God's law. It could be talking about grace via God's law, and then more grace, a different grace, grace that God's law brought to us, and then the grace of Jesus? It could be that. It could be talking about the fact that, that uh, God's grace came to us in the, in when he gave his laws, and that then that grace was kind of followed or superseded by grace through Jesus. And, and that, by the way, is not that the law is bad and Jesus is good. That's not the case. Sometimes we, we study our Bibles and we might accidentally give, us, give ourselves that impression that the law is bad and it's past and it's old news and Jesus is love and grace. But what the Bible is pretty clear about is that both 
The giving of the law was a grace of God, and the revealing and the sending of his son was a grace of God. That the, that the giving of the law and the, and the coming of Jesus are both decisive events in God's rescue plan for his people. When God, before the foundations of the world, before in, in eternity past, when God purposed to rescue a people for himself, key in, both of those were key, the giving of the law and the sending of his son. Because what, for just a second, before we get, circle back to the grace that Jesus brings, how did God's law bring blessing? What, what is God's grace to us about the revealing of his laws? Well, when we read our Bibles and we consider God's laws, and when we hear what he expects, part of the grace there is, He's revealing his character. He's revealing his holiness, his purity, his goodness. So there's a grace to us in him giving the law because it's, it's revealing to us his character and his righteous requirements to be in relationship with him, the, the requirements. And that's a grace to us is to know what it takes to be in relationship with God. And you know what else the law reveals? The law reveals my incredibly deep need. Because as I become familiar with the laws of God, I become reminded of how much I fall short. And so it's a grace of God through his law that reveals our inability to match up, our inability to earn it, our inability to, to meet those righteous requirements of God on our own strength. If, if that is who he is and what he expects on my own strength, out of my own efforts, there is no way I will match up. But you know the punchline, right? Jesus meets the righteous requirements of God. Lived, met those requirements, died in our place, rose again conquering sin and death, and made it possible for you and I to be in relationship with God. Everybody say amen. And everybody say Merry Christmas to the person next to you. He came. So the, the revealing of the law is, is a grace to us. Romans 5.20, this will be on the screen, says, Now the law came to increase the trespass, which is kind of, Tough news at first, right? The law is revealed. It increases the trespass. It, in other words, it shows us where we're in rebellion. It shows us where we've gone wrong. It shows us where we sin and go against God, where we choose our own ways and not his ways. And because of that, we've broken our relationship with God and are doomed for eternity apart from him. But the grace and truth that we're talking about in John 1 Grace and truth represent the way God orients himself toward you. Even in the midst of that sin and rebellion, even in the midst of the fact that the law has come to increase our trespass and make it obvious to us how badly we need him and how, how, how much we fall short, even with that being the case, grace and truth show us what God thinks about us, what his attitude toward you is, what his posture toward me is, when we turn from sin and turn to Jesus, his posture toward us is grace and truth. 
the grace of not getting what we are due. It's not about fairness. We wouldn't want it to be about fairness because what we are due, what we deserve, is not good. And what we get is grace, unmerited, undeserved favor because God's agape love and delight in you. We don't get what we do deserve, consequences for our sin. We do get what we don't deserve, forgiveness of sin, his love poured out to us, and salvation through Jesus being made right with God, having life now and life forever. Anyone ever heard of John 3.16? Let's look on the screen with us at John 3, uh, together at John 3.16. For God so, what word do you think is there? Agape. For God so agaped you, the world, that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And we sometimes stop there because that is a glorious summary of the good news of Jesus. But what if we go one more verse? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. If we're honest, is that sometimes the impression we have? I blow it. I don't match up. I'm a complete disaster. How could God possibly love me? Jesus came to condemn and judge and send me to hell. John 3.16 is a glorious summary of the good news of Jesus. And sometimes we stop in verse 16, but what if we keep going into verse 17? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Because church family, the overwhelming reality of the Bible, the overarching theme of the Bible, the, uh, the, the, the thing that we want to sit here in is that, is that the story of God rescuing a people for himself is not about judgment, it's about grace. It's that because God delights in you, because of his agape love for you, he generously offers salvation by grace instead of giving us what our sin deserves. And so what do we do with that? When God offers this gracious gift of salvation, we just receive it. It's not about our behavior. It's not about matching up. It's not about earning. We must recognize that me, you, we must recognize that we cannot match up on our own, that we cannot keep the law, that we fall short, that we can't rescue ourselves. And when we come to that recognition about our inability to save ourselves, about our inability to live a life of meaning and purpose and richness and fullness apart from God, then we repent of our old ways. We turn away from sin and our old self and, and doing whatever we feel like. And we turn to God. We turn to, through Jesus, through his grace. Accepting the amazing gift of not getting what we deserve, what would be fair and due to us, and instead receive his grace of unearned, unmerited favor because of God's agape love and delight in us. So we want to keep thinking about that phrase, grace upon grace. I was saying that, what, I was saying that, that, that uh, phrase in the original language could be a little tricky. But let me, let me tell you what some, some smarter people than me, how they translate it. And what smart biblical scholars say we can, 
we can think about, that we can reflect on, that we can celebrate is true about that phrase. Grace in the place of grace. Grace succeeding grace perpetually. The richest abundance of grace. That's what what people are suggesting that this phrase grace upon grace means. The gospel, church family, is the good news that God rescues sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We're a mess. We're lost. We're broken and hurting and in rebellion against God and without hope, but yet God, through his grace, offers the gift of rescue through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus lived the life that we cannot live. He died the death that we deserve. He rose again, defeating death and sin and hell and making it possible for us to experience life in him. Salvation, our rescue, being made right with God, being adopted into God's family, is by God's grace. And we receive that gift by putting our faith in Jesus. By saying, I can't do it on my own. Jesus, I need you. I trust you. Lead me. Lead my life. Help me make my life all about you. Our salvation is by God's grace through putting our faith in Jesus. But God's grace doesn't come to us just just back when you became a Christian. Grace isn't true about God just when you first cross from darkness to light, when you cross from hell-bound to heaven-bound. That is God's grace. But God's grace doesn't stop just at rescuing us from sin and death and bringing us into life as a believer in Jesus. Grace upon grace tells us this, that phrase that, that phrase tells us things like this about God's grace, that we receive grace in increasing measure, that grace is one blessing after another, that when one supply of grace is exhausted, guess what? Another is available. Grace upon grace. So I think you, you and I think we wander and think we go astray and think we blew it and think he could not possibly love us, and then we come to the phrase grace upon grace. We could translate it grace piled upon grace. Grace heaped on grace. Look, at, look with me at Romans 5.20 on the screen again. We looked at the first part earlier. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but here's, listen to the rest. But where sin increased because we became aware of our sin, because we became aware of our need, because the law showed us how messed up we are. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace what? Everybody say it like you're excited. Grace what? Where where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in us because of death, because of separation from God, because of our rejection of him and a rebellion against him, where sin reigned in our death, grace also might reign through righteousness that lead us to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. When sin increased, grace what? Grace upon grace. Church family, grace abounds. Not judgment and condemnation. God's agape love for you abounds. And one of the ways he shows you his abounding love is by the fact you didn't get what you deserve and that you do get what you don't deserve. Grace abounds. 
And the Bible speaks about grace in these ways. There's Bible passages that tell us to continue in grace. Does that seem like grace is old news? Continue in grace. Stand firm in grace. Grow in grace. That doesn't sound like grace is old news just for when you became a Christian. That sounds like grace upon grace that not only rescues us from sin and death, but that carries us in life and that enables everything we do. Grace that carries us through life. Grace that enables us to not sin. Grace that enables us to to serve God. Grace that enables us to love others, to love our enemies. The gospel is the spectacular good news that God offers rescue through Jesus. That through, by God's grace, through our faith in Jesus, we can be made right with God. And that rescue, that good news is by grace. And grace upon grace also carries us forward. God's offering it to you now. As you give your life to Jesus, his grace brings you out of darkness into the light, brings you out of death to life. And as you give your life to Jesus, as you recognize you can't do it on your own, grace upon grace carries you, enabling you to live for him, changing you from the inside out, making you into a new person, giving you a new heart and new mind and new attitude and new desires. Where the old is gone, the new has come, where we've turned and away from sin in our old life and repented of that and turned to Jesus for life and being made new, transformed from the inside out. And not just experiencing, not only experiencing life eternal, which sounds amazing, but experiencing life now. That's what we're going to talk about a little bit more on Christmas Eve. Life now. Life full and rich and meaningful and abundant. Not perfect. Not without difficulty. Not without pain and trial. And yet, Jesus offers through his grace. Life now. Abundant life now. So these days and these weeks, we celebrate, and we eat a lot, and we gather with friends and family, and we have traditions, and we have celebrations, and we have parties, and yes, it's to remember the birth of Jesus, but church family, let's pray and and ask God to remind us that it's to celebrate his grace. Father in heaven, thank you that you are a God who is not distant on high and uncaring and somehow separate from us and far from us. God, thank you that you are a God who has come into this world, whose son was willing to set aside the glory due to him, what he deserved, and he was willing to humble himself and come into humanity. And we celebrate that he came, the arrival, the birth of Jesus. We thank you that the son of God, the God-man, came to dwell with us. And God, as we celebrate his birth, then we pray that you would use it to show us your love and your grace. That you are a God who did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to rescue the world through him. And God, I pray that... uh, I pray that this would be true about 
this morning. I pray that this would be true about every time we interact with you, every time we read your word, every time we hear of your love and grace. God, I pray that this would not go in one ear and out the other. I pray that we would not just check the box of having attended church this morning. I pray that we would not just think that we've heard the story and we know the story. But God, I pray that you would give us an opportunity today and in the coming days to rest in and reflect on your grace upon grace for us. That that would be good news where there was bad news. That your grace upon grace would remind us that you have brought us out of death and into life. So God, we worship you. We want to continue our Advent celebration. We want to continue lifting our voices in song and saying our prayers and studying your word and giving our offerings all out of thankfulness because of your great agape love for us, your grace to us through Jesus. We thank you and we worship you together now. In Jesus' name, amen.